0: Bolcha, welcome to Connected Communication, a podcast exploring the intriguing interplay between language, culture and the brain, sharing speaking secrets along the way. I'm your host, Christine. I've had a few quite disrupted week's listeners, which has taken me away from my ultimate goal of sharing as the final round of the storytelling series an episode on Irish myths and legends. So this week, instead of doing that, to give myself a bit of time to be able to actually do some research on it properly, be able to shape and share the story in a way that will, I hope, resonate with your ears, I'm going to share a conversation I had a few months ago with a guy called Sean Bennett. It was the first time we met. A total surprise in terms of the conversation. And one of those ones where, a bit like Kiri you heard last week, when you meet someone, you just talk. He shared some fantastic stories. So as you're listening, a bit like last week, hear how he shapes and shares his stories in a way that connects and resonates with your ear as you listen. You describe yourself as a serial volunteer rather than a serial anything else, which is a probably a good thing. Welcome to the show, Sean. What, what would you say you mean there when you say you're a serial volunteer?
1: Thank you very much, Christine. Um, just that I, I put myself forward for so many things. Over wow. the years, uh, I've done a number of voluntary roles um, some that lasted for years, one that's still ongoing um, on an on, on and off relationship type of way, really. Um, but I'm I'm just the, a typical person. When somebody needs something doing, the hand goes up. If I think I can help, the hand goes up.
0: So you you said like an on and off relationship. You you dip in and dip out of this particular yes. role that you've been doing for a long time. Yeah. What types of voluntary work do you enjoy most? So
1: I've, um, what have I done over the years? I've been um, a special constable, so a voluntary police officer for oh, six well. years. Okay. Um, an adult instructor for the army cadets. Okay. Just a sustainer, which, so the, um, the one that I support. been going back to 2006 when I first got involved with them was, um, is an organization called phase worldwide. They do an awful lot of work out in Nepal. Um, and, and then that's the, the on and off relationship. So I support them when I can. and they have activities that go on every now and again, and I get involved dip in and out depending on what my availability is. Oh. But it's it's more on just being there, doing things, doing silly things like fireworks to raise money for and stuff like that.
0: Okay, so supporting on the outside, raising money as opposed to being in training cadets, yeah. is that right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're kind of bolstering the organisation from the outside in.
1: No, so the army cadets was an instructor. Uh huh. So yeah, I, I I did, I, I did, yeah, did five year, Five years yeah. as an adult instructor.
0: Okay. And. I'm guessing now, and please correct me if I'm completely ignorant on this topic, but does that mean that you were a soldier or something in the past that brought you into being able to instruct Army cadets?
1: No, um, it it was one of those things that, uh, well, actually, the story behind it was we were having solar panels fitted on the house. Right. And I was working in London at the time, and um, the gentleman that came and did the sign-off. Documentation, the final visit before we, we have the installation done. Just happened to mention to my wife, look, I'm on a bit of a tight deadline. Got to get this done, measured up, signed off, and um, and then I'm off to cadets. And Donna has been uh, in the TA. She did 10 years in the in the TA as a reservist. So that's about yeah, yeah, her. Just I mean, for the, the territorial army, as kit. it was. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. yeah. So the yeah, army reserves, I think, is, is the reference they use these days and the more modern term. Yeah, she she sort of, sparked her interest and and Donna got talking to him and went along to see what it was all about. He talked her into going along to see what it was about. And um, she came back talking to me one day while I was down in London uh, and she's just telling me all about what she was going to start to do as an instructor. And she says, you need to have a look at it. We'd been talking about wanting a challenge and something new to sort of get involved in. So we ended up both going for it. But um, I was a year behind it because the contract that I, I was on literally took me away from home for a year, so I had to pause my interest in it and um, wait till that contract finished.
0: Okay. Wow. Very interesting. So you, that was a different contract then that took you yeah. away from home for a year. Was that out of the UK or no? It was in just in UK?
1: London. In London, I'm working in um, I work in waste management by day, so that's mm-hmm. my uh, that's my my trade is uh, operations. So. General management, really, uh, but just happened to uh, to dip into waste operations in particular okay. for the last fifteen or so years. Well,
0: in a city like London, that's a big job, no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah it was.
1: It, it, was <laughs> it was a particular contract, and um, I was looking at doing it because it was it was one discipline that I hadn't been involved in. So, with the household waste. Recycling Centres was uh, an area of waste management. I'd had no experience in. The opportunity came up to go down there. Uh, I'd got all the, the other necessary qualifications and skills and just went there and learned all about HWRCs for a year.
0: So lots of different roles with the special um, constable as well. Yes. What does that involve?
1: That involves basically volunteering your time, evenings, weekends, um, and going out standing on the front line, doing foot patrols, doing football matches, um, pretty much anything and everything that a regular police officer would do. You have all of the powers, uh, actually as a special constable, all of the powers of a regular officer. Um, But the limitation is only in the county that you operate within and the counties around it. So as a for example, I did that in North Yorkshire, lived in York for a few years. Every county that surrounded Yorkshire or North Yorkshire, I my powers as a police officer extended into those counties. But if I was in London, they didn't. I was mm. effectively just the same as any other citizen. Okay. But other than that, that was the only limitation.
0: Wow. And what's the difference in the training?
1: You get pretty much the same sort of training. You 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 go away on training sessions and you you um on a weekly basis, you're involved in uh, specific training and refreshes all the time. That's always ongoing. And then after that, you, you go out and you do regular duties.
0: Very interesting. But as a volunteer. So you're doing mm-hmm. the same job as the police, but you're not getting paid for it. Correct. Hmm. Where do I go with this one? <laughs> 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 what? Uh, what draws you to doing a job like that when you're not getting paid for it?
1: Well, at the time... Um, I wanted to be a police officer, but I was doing a job uh, that I actually quite liked, and I didn't want to give the job up. And I I found out about being a special constable. I thought, well, actually, I can do that. It's kind of try before you buy. Yes, sir. (laughs) And so I went went for it that way, and um, I ended up serving for six years. And I, I only, at the time, actually only left because I changed jobs and moved out of the area.
0: So you could kind of technically have a better paying job but then maybe Eventually, being yeah, in the police and, on, and at the same yeah, time enjoy be being a,
1: a police officer. Going be a
0: copper for fun. Wow, <laughs> for fun. But was it really fun? So, so you know...
1: The- it, it was. I mean, at the time, I was talking uh, early 90s when okay. I did that. So, 93 to 99. All right.
0: Um,
1: and, and it was fun. It wasn't without its challenges. Um. I did that for for a number of reasons. One was generally for self-development and progression. The other one was to look at uh, the role itself and to see whether I really did want to do it Mm full-time and um, I I quite enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was pretty varied. There were some things that, that a special constable today can do like special constable can can be, be trained up to the standard of a traffic officer, for example. And go out and do patrols in traffic cars. Um, at that time that I was in, you couldn't do that. So okay. it has progressed as an organisation. It's it's it has progressed quite a long a, a lot over the years.
0: Wow. So, what was the most dangerous thing you had to do?
1: Nothing. Um, there wasn't anything really dangerous that I came across.
0: North Yorkshire is lovely, quiet spot. is um, But apart from Member <laughs> They're a bit mad over there. There is a there is a little there is
1: a little twist um oh. in that tale. Uh, and that was at the time I was looking into it, there was um there was a, a police officer that got shot and killed just outside of Tadcaster, mm. um, an officer called Glenn Goodman, who was a special constable. And that was in nineteen ninety-two. And it was one of those it was um related to the troubles in Ireland and the IRA um and he was he was shot and killed by um Paul McGee I think it was the gentleman's name and at that time that kind of put me off a little bit it, it halted my um, my desire to do it but then i wanted to be a police officer for more than one thing you know i wanted to be I wanted to do something good i wanted to protect people and i wanted to make a difference and after a little bit of reflection I actually thought, well, those types of events are way out of our control. And we can't really, you know, unless you go running in front of somebody with a gun, knowing that they have one, that's putting yourself in danger. Glenn Goodman didn't do that. Uh, And when I sort of processed that and realised, actually, if I can't control it, I shouldn't let it stop me doing what I want to do. And that was why I carried on.
0: Very powerful words. If I can't control it, why should I let it stop me doing what I want to do? I absolutely love that. Mm. Right, so we've had special constable, adult instructor for the cadets, operations and general management in variety of different industries, waste management included. Anything we're leaving out here that, that has made a mark on your life?
1: I think one of the one of the significant things actually was becoming an adult instructor. So as a youngster, I I wanted to be a police officer from being a little boy. And my story behind that was that I'd I'd, I'd witnessed through the news, thankfully, um, some terrible events going on, and and you know that's what the news gives us anyway, isn't it? But um, that kind of gave me the desire. I wanted to do that. And I wanted to lock people up. Well, the bad guys, obviously. And I grew up wanting to do that. And that was kind of my passion that took me right into to joining the police. But when I became an adult instructor, and I saw how um, those sort of, what I would describe as like tiny butterflies of, of youngsters between 12 and 18 is the age range that they join. And, and seeing them come in, all shy and nervous or scared, um, cocky, but because they wanted to sort of stand out, um, but they had inner fears. It was quite clear. And seeing them come from that and to flourish into growing grow in such a short space of time with the training and the structure that they were given. And, um, and I've sort of said, my light bulb moment was when I realized how effective that was. Uh, unlocking people mm. and unlocking people is far more powerful than locking them up
0: oh right so you found uh maybe a shift in your thinking on what would i say the approach to dealing with criminals
1: with that uh, not really dealing not really with right. criminals no but um just the, in terms of pers- from a personal achievement point of view, doing good, feeling that you've achieved something by helping someone else achieve something or to grow and develop, uh, to me was far more powerful than finding a bad guy and locking him up. Because, you know, that's not really the end of it. Mm. Sadly, society being what it is, um, it, it's kind of a spiraling culture unless somebody really has uh, an epiphany whilst they're doing time and and as a complete change of direction then generally once they're on that path they're on that path and it's really difficult to change
0: and it's as you say society i think it's denmark oh i'd have the country wrong is it denmark or the czech republic maybe i need to check that to confirm it that has a completely different approach to the criminal system And it's about rehabilitation as opposed to the opposite, keeping them incarcerated. So they have minimum sentence durations. They go through a rehabilitation process when in prison, regardless of the crime. And I think their rate of recidivism is one of the lowest in the world. They they don't have a lot of repeated crime because of the process that they put them through, through. And you think that's possible in a place like in a country like the UK?
1: No, no. <laughs> sadly, and I, I think there, it would be a massive sea change, um, and and I don't think, like many other things, I don't think this country is prepared for that, or um, prepared as incapable. Right. Prepared as incapable. There's, there's an, yeah. There's there's an awful lot more education yeah. that's required.
0: Yeah, uh, education, maybe soci- societal change right down to the roots. There's a lot that's systemic. Yeah. So we've had now, I'm recapping on all these different jobs and the impacts. Let's spiral it into communication if we can then. From being in general management, which my father has been in for many years. My aunt actually is a she went from health and safety officer to now, I think, general operations manager, but health and safety in waste management, in, in recycling over here. So very similar to what you're talking about to
1: special health and safety qualification as well
0: i do yeah (laughs) i love this i had 38 jobs by the time i was 38 years old in 23 different companies so i'm with you on the the just do it if if i am interested in it if it's drawing me towards it i'm going to give it a go i'm going to learn as much as i possibly can about it then if i don't feel stimulated by it anymore or i don't see potential for progression i'm going to do this job instead and now that I'm 40, I'm looking at that and I'm able to say, well, actually, I amassed incredible knowledge and skills because of it about different organizations and in different industries, which I, I'm guessing you have done the same. So thinking then about communication, and I know we've a few different directions to go in with respect to communication this evening, yep. and we will definitely get into them. <laughs> yeah, you're
1: gonna leave me down about that, yeah.
0: Well, I don't lead the path, I get led, and <laughs> something gives me the questions, which you, I, I'm guessing, understand. And for listeners yeah. who think, oh, they're getting really cryptic now, <laughs> it's coming, it's coming in a few it's minutes. Coming, yeah. a special Constable, Adult Instructor, General Management, you are you're dealing with people all the time, some of them are young people, some of them are adults. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about communication? throughout your years in these different roles? That might, that might be a very big question. So whatever, <laughs> maybe bits and pieces come yeah, to geez. you as opposed yeah. to everything.
1: Well, I'd, I think I would probably highlight the fact that somebody once said to me, and it stuck with me for years and years and years. Uh, if I'm going to tell you this one first, and then I'll tell you that, what stuck with me. But had one boss who we were of a very similar age both quite young at the time. Um, and he was the operations director in this organization. And I looked up to him because he, he just had this attitude of you'll make mistakes, things go wrong because that's life. Um, but don't hide it. Come and tell me we work out how to deal with it and we work out how to try not to do it again. And, and that was, he just led um, from the front. And uh, I aspired to be like that ever since. And so everywhere I've worked, I've had that, that same attitude. Um, I'm very much a sort of one brick at a time person. You don't rush to get a result because otherwise that's going to likely cave in because it's not gone through the right planning and preparation. Um, and then the other one was a comment about, we. we we all we've all had bosses. We learn from good bosses and bad bosses because we learn what we would like to do, who we would like to be like, and who we would never want to be compared with. And um, we were having a conversation uh, about this particular boss, and um, th- the statement that I was given was: "Everybody has the ability to light up a room, some when they enter it, and others when they leave." Oh yeah. <laughs> Just remember, and you know, and be the one that turns the light on coming in. Yeah. And I've stuck with that as well. I have, I have that principle, and I share that thought with a lot of people in work when they're frustrated by things or by others. I share those types of insights. Um, I think I've always, probably because I'm Libran, people tell me, I've always been sort of a calming influence on people, and. Look at things in a logical and pragmatic way, and generally we'll have an alternative where if someone is really frustrated I can all very quickly throw them. Have you thought about this or what about that what's the impact of that uh, and I just quite enjoy mindset really you know getting um, mindset management i I've called it over, over many years and it's just getting into people's heads a little bit I don't have any real qualifications in that field, but just being sharing my learning with people and trying to get into their head with that and get them to think about their situation in a slightly different way and i find it works really well
0: would i be right to say it comes from a place of heart of what sorry heart genuine authenticity
1: yeah
0: in my block book that's the only qualification that we need In in those instances, the world creates this need for qualifications and certain certificates and especially in the area of mindset and it's not scientific and it's not valid and not backed. Well, here's a story for you lads, we all have a brain, we all have a heart, a couple of brains, and when we come from a place of love and care from each other and seriously just genuinely want to help, that's all the qualification we need.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: And you do have a lovely calming energy about you, all right. From yeah. my perspective here, meeting you for the first time this evening, can I spiral a little bit in a direction you may not have thought of? But you, you mentioned being from North Yorkshire, and it, it's related to some work that I'm doing at the moment.
1: Not from North Yorkshire.
0: Oh, I thought you said you were. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I
1: worked there. I work there.
0: <laughs> ah, okay. Um,
1: I am I a apologize. Yorkshire lad. Right. I am a Yorkshire lad. I, I was born in South Yorkshire.
0: Okay. So I
1: currently. I currently live in South Yorkshire, about uh-huh. three miles away from where I was born, oddly enough.
0: Right. Well, that actually is kind of a perfect segue into what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> okay. How you responded when you when I said you were from North Yorkshire. I'm not from North Yorkshire. It's like me <laughs> when people ask I tell them I'm from Dundalk, which is just below the border with Northern Ireland. When I say it's it's in the northeast coast, it's not far from Northern Ireland. And then I get asked the question, well, are you from the north of the south, which is as loaded with microaggressions as it, the where are you from really question is. Yeah, I've been reading recently and doing some work in the area of accent bias. I've just completed an interview for a uh, a potential student publication that will help universities hopefully bring some awareness to students about it and recent research has been published in the uk about accent bias i'm not sure whether you've heard of it or, or not yet I haven't no it mentions the the north parts um i think i think yorkshire specifically might be mentioned but i know from my experience my best friend lives in a place called sherburne in Elmet in yeah. yorkshire And so I've been there a few times. I've met a few different people. There seems to be a stigma against the way people speak or accents from those areas. And you mentioned having been in London or lived in London for a number of years.
1: Uh, Yeah, I just spent a year working there. there. Just recently spent 18 months in Bristol. Mm -hmm. Um, We moved briefly... In 2009, we moved into Somerset and we spent three years in Somerset. Um, Whilst I was down there, somebody said to me, what is your accent? And I said, but. (laughs) 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 And I said, and they were like, but where are you from? Because you don't sound like you're from around here. So kind of gave them a rundown. And, um, and they went, yeah, but you don't sound Yorkshire either. And we, d- we do pick up nuances from the different places that we work and spend any significant amount of time. And I've noticed that um, sometimes just my sense of humour, I I tend to sort of mickey-take out people and, and mimic their accent a little bit. But then I find when I'm with certain people, I start to... um. Kind of shift towards that accent. It's like adopting the accent, which which I don't know. I, I don't know whether I do it. Con- I don't. I don't do it consciously. Actually, I do it from taking the Mickey album. But I think if I spend enough time in their company or in that area, then I, I, I kind of sort of can sh- side shift a little bit and, and adopt a little bit of the accent, um which then means that my actual accent is generally not what it what it was when I was born. Oh, when I grew up
0: right and thanks for for sharing that so there's quite a bit in it with the questioning from the person and it, it the, essentially that question is really it's not where, where's your what's your accent it's I can't place you so therefore yeah. I can't categorize you and mm-hmm. I can't decide whether you're you're going to be intelligent or not or I should talk to you or not or what attitude you'll have and so that this is what the idea of accent bias is that when yeah. We we hear somebody, we place characteristics upon them. And in it it goes into mimicry as well, then when we intentionally mimic somebody who we don't know, is that something that we should or shouldn't do? And I'm not a big lover of the should, if if I'm honest, because it's a place's obligation. But for what you said at the end part there, I would say the same happens with me. I've learned over the years to mirror. And the brain naturally mirrors certain Mm -hmm. things in people anyway. To mirror other people's communication, mannerisms and behaviours, because that's what helps them to feel comfortable in my presence. So it could be very well that you've developed those skills naturally over the years because of all the different people that you've experienced.
1: Yeah, Yeah, quite probably so.
0: In different areas. And I'd call that a superpower. I'd say that. (laughs) Well, if you think about it, you can go into any situation and adapt Mm -hmm. so that people accept you, connect with you, and may or may not like you all the time because we can't have everybody like us, of course. But would it be fair to say that you can go into most situations and relatively quickly or easily adapt to that environment so there's a feeling of comfort? Yeah, Yeah. that for me is a superpower because there are so many people out there Who can't
1: do that. And and putting people at ease as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So what's your opinion then of the question? What's your accent? Is it okay to ask? Is it not okay nowadays?
1: I think there are so many things changing in what's acceptable to say and ask and and I don't know whether I'm, I'm maybe a little bit old fashioned. And, and I think sometimes you don't find things out if you don't ask. So the ask is not necessarily the problem. It's probably more about how it's delivered, the, the style of the question, um, and whether it could be reframed better to get the same sort of result to get, to kind of pin that down. I mean, as a, for example, in that particular situation. I would actually say that, you know, you, you don't sound like you have a particular accent from a particular area. Where are you from originally, or have you spent a long time here? In, and that, that type of thing, just to say it to someone that I'm curious about you, and I'd like to know more about you. And the way that you speak or the way I receive your voice kind of gives me like a mixed message so i would like to kind of narrow that down a little bit so that we understand each other better um how how is best to ask that type of question i really don't know
0: that's one great example and it can very much depend can't it on the situation that we're in who we're speaking to and our, our intention behind it there's a lot of talk now about microaggression in this question where are you from really I love people asking me where I'm from because then I can yeah. say Ireland and then we, do we go into this whole.
1: I, I think the follow-up is the key bit there. The mm. Where are you from really? Mm-hmm. Because if, if the original question is framed correctly, you would get the answer. Yeah,
0: and not push with the, the really, which is my presumption that you're not actually from the place that you yeah, just told it, me that it, you're from. It kind
1: of implies you're lying and, yeah. and being deceitful. And therefore, the rest of this conversation is based on mistrust.
0: Right. Well,
1: that's the end of the conversation then.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you're going to be really blunt about it. So I, you know, I I would think I would quite happily accept someone saying to me, as a for example, in fact, I, I had that probably within the last eighteen months when I was working in Bristol. You're clearly not a local guy. You, I'm tensing, sort of north Yorkshire area whereabouts you know Sheffield is it close to that you know, so somebody's kind of had hazarding a guess they're putting themselves self out on a limb saying I want to know more about you I've got a bit of a feel for where you're from but I'd like to know more that makes yeah. sense
0: and there's curiosity in it yeah a genuine just curiosity because then we can find connections and this is the difficulty I have with this I work with People whose first language isn't English, mm-hmm. and so the world can be very challenging, particularly from a biased perspective. There's a presumption that you're not from here, that you sh- you don't belong. Lots of different aggressions that can come up. But I think if we go too far onto the other side of not being able to ask those questions, not being able to be curious, we we as you say we stop com- com- communication. The conversation stops. and how to, Then can I be curious about you? Oh, your jumper is lovely. Where did you buy it? <laughs> and maybe yeah. they say and, before and
1: then, I came. And is the, the follow up. <laughs> but where did you really buy it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but where is know, it really it's, made? It's the same, yeah, it's the same question. Isn't it? Mm.
0: But it, I have to admit to being triggered when somebody says to me, so are you from the north or the south of Ireland? Because for me, I'm from Ireland. And yeah that it's that's it i've already told you i'm from ireland so when somebody asks me the follow-up i look at them and they get a very stern response i'm from ireland and that's it oh okay but then it creates a feeling of discontent because they know they've crossed the line by asking me that question now i can have a conversation with them about it which i'm very happy to do because then it goes into a, a relationship building conversation but some people aren't able to handle the response and they don't really know what to do so then i have to do the work to calm them down yeah thanks for for talking about that i really appreciate it it wasn't a place i'd expected to go but uh (laughs) it, it is an area that i'm going with my podcast and particularly from around the time that i was hoping to to publish yours yeah i'll be talking to a lot of people about accent bias and native speakerism around the world so i appreciate that,
1: yeah. that, conversation. that, that that's fine i mean to I'd, i'll just add probably a little bit of a personal bias that that i can give as an example that's come out
0: yeah
1: um and that's what there's so much reality tv on at the moment isn't there? and, and i always think they found someone with the most broad yorkshire accent that they could find to put on against all of these other people. So it makes Yorkshire people sound thick. Oh, wow. And when, and you know, the, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't an element of that within the selection process, but it's like, yeah, they, they, they sound like, you know, I was going to be horrible. Then said, they sound like they come from Barnsley, but you know, if you, if you look at that, People within a certain area of South Yorkshire, so Barnsley, Rotherham, don't really have a great reputation. And if somebody can be put into that box that they come from one of those places and they sound cheap, and rough, whatever, then they'll get put on whatever that um, that TV program may be as the token Yorkshire person. And you know, and a lot of Yorkshire people are been cringing, and going, "Oh my goodness me! <laughs> like, could they not have found somebody that could actually talk?" And, uh, and convey what they're talking about and and be understood. But dialect is what it is. It's, you know, it, it just, it puts you in a place and literally for, from the space of five or six miles from, I work in Barnsley, I live in Rotherham, um, people five miles apart, you can hear the changing in the dialect. You can hear it shifting in a particular way, certain uh, intonations that come out. And it, it I find it really fascinating.
0: Yeah, so do I. Because fascinating. I'm
1: like, you know, when I say that word, it comes out and I hear it this way and you know, we're we're nearly neighbours and you say it differently. And I just think it's it's a great curiosity yeah. for me.
0: Yeah. I'm very I'm, I'm very I'm quite intrigued by this now. Can you give me an example of a word that that you could do in the two different uh pronunciations? God. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a bit too much pressure to
1: put gender I think well I think um, emphasis of certain letters um would, would be, you know, I would say great.
0: Yeah.
1: And some great. Some, some of my colleagues would be great almost. Oh. It's like as you great. as you're moving great. across, great. And it's like the emphasis, great. the rolling the R into it. Yeah. And, wow. and that's that's practically a neighbour that does that almost. You know, that's it, it can change so quickly. And like anything, you know, there's got to be a border to all things before mm. you get a shift. But I find it really fascinating that you can literally you can go five miles down the road and somebody talks slightly, says exactly the same words, slightly differently. And you well, can it's go, funny because he's, that you from, say he's that. from that town, she's from that town. Yeah. Just by those words.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I think about it now, actually, you know, you might be in Dundalk town and somebody in Dundalk town, you would drive out to Ravensdale which is the north further north would sound a little bit different back out to Black Rock mm. to Haggerstown, where I'm from would sound a bit different of each other yeah that's a good point you make you said something that made me want to ask about that the tv show that's a really interesting comment that you make there and I wouldn't be surprised if there is a, an, an intention in putting somebody in but that is this whole conversation about accent bias that right we're choosing now they'll never admit that they're choosing somebody for that reason of course but we can look at it and know that they they probably are
1: well you've only got to look at x factor take it slightly differently Mm -hmm. and and the auditions of people who absolutely could not sing to save their life
0: yeah it's all it's ratings
1: it's there it's entertainment
0: Yeah, it, sadly for some, yes. And that's a human condition. Ah, no, not a condition. I, I'm contradicting myself. I don't like the word condition. Being human is not a condition. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the TV show, The Picking of the Accent and that loaded bias that goes along with it. So we choose this person because they are associated with a negative perception, with not being very intelligent, with maybe whatever other behaviors or characteristics when we take that then into the workplace or into university or into schools and the general environment what happens is somebody from that area with that accent can go for a job maybe in a prestigious university for example or in a high-ranking organization and the moment they step foot in the door because of that bias they're immediately ruled out Simply because someone associates their characteristics with their their accent. Before we move off this topic, then, what do you think we can do to start changing that?
1: It's a really deep question.
0: (laughs) You said I wasn't Um, restricted to asking anything.
1: (laughs) No, absolutely, that's that's true.
0: And it's from your perspective.
1: Yeah. You see, my perspective is really difficult, though, because I don't judge people based on their accent.
0: It's your perspective, nothing difficult about
1: it. Yeah. And and I just think that that is the answer, is you're judging a book by its core. We are audiobooks. What we speak is what people read. Mm. And so they are judging us as audiobooks by what we say. Um, and and I just think that straight away it's 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 the, un, the an unconscious I don't yeah an unconscious bias yeah um based on accent I suppose in 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 that sense um, how do we stop that I don't know
0: you take it back to yourself so it's natural for you not to judge people by their accent to give mm-hmm. them the opportunity and the chance to speak and allow you to see the person. Likely somewhere when you hear it, a different accent, the, the bias comes up because that society trains us to automatically associate these things with particular accents. So when you hear a Scouse, you get certain perceptions immediately. I love the Scouse accent. <laughs> when, when you hear a Scot, you get the, some perceptions when you hear an Irish person from the north or from the south. They come up, but there's something in you in that moment that they come up that you inhibit. And you you would be unconsciously inhibiting it in your brain. So if you were to give advice to people, maybe your young cadets, for example, no, the adults were the cadets, the, the young yeah, no, it was the army cadets were the young ones. If they were coming in, 12 to 17, 12 to 18 years of age, and you saw them maybe slagging each other for their accents, what would you do to help them recognise the impact that they're having on each other and have them to taper that a little bit, not to judge people by how they sound?
1: I'm going away. Um, That's a really good one. And I think what I would probably do I think it would be difficult to intervene straight away so I wouldn't just walk in and go don't do that that's wrong um because if you challenge somebody in that way then actually their immediate and opposite reaction is to defend themselves what I would do is um I could give you an example actually from my police training um when I was At the police headquarters, doing some training. But I would seek out an opportunity. Whether we were having some, you know, gathering after we'd had a meal or something, and we were just doing a little bit of team building, and it would be along those lines. Actually, I would use some form of team building exercise uh, and challenge. And I would probably be saying to them, "Right, give them this instruction in." That language or in that accent. Right. You give them that instruction in this accent, and they would all end up laughing at each other about what they're hearing. And so, right, who's embarrassed by it? You and, know, and, and then kind of take the the humor into the ooh, um, is he upset with us? Is he disappointed with us? Is he peed off with us? You know, and then just get the explanation going as to how, what I'd heard earlier. So I'd make direct reference to what I'd heard and just explain how it's basically, it's cause and effect. What you said wasn't necessarily what you intended, but how it's received on the other end and the effect it might have on that individual who might be very conscious of their accent, that that puts them in low mood, puts them in a negative frame of mind negatively impacts on them for the rest of the day rest of the weekend rest of the life you don't know, but I would try to frame it in that way so that they actually see that it's good to accept people for the differences
0: Mm. oh wow I love that and you took a little bit of one of my lines I say unite in celebration of our differences Mm. (laughs) so wow there's the resonance now that might be the guides
1: so, I'll give you the example from the Oh uh, from yeah, the yeah, before we shift. So,
0: yeah.
1: We were we were getting to know each other, obviously. It was a, a lot of people from different areas of North Yorkshire. All in this training centre, we we were we were breaking the ice, we were getting to know each other. Uh, we'd had a drink or two on the night, and then the, the jokes start to come out, some less appropriate than others, and so on. And um One of the top men that was in the training team was there and he didn't say anything, but he started off the class the next day. Who was in the bar last night? Who did this? Who had had a laugh? Who had a bit too much to drink? Who was telling jokes? And he went down the path of explaining to us that, um, exactly that way, really, that just because you think that a joke or a line is funny, doesn't mean that the person on the other end thinks the joke or the line is funny. And he gave the example of the Lockerbie bombing, the, the aircraft that was blown up and crashed in Lockerbie. He was, um, he'd got a, a, a group of, was a group of senior officers, uh, on some training, there'd been some jokes about various things, um there was a joke about Fred West tied into the Lockerbie one. So you may have heard the joke at some point. If not, I'll tell it you off air. It's just context so that you understand it. All right. No, um, I haven't. Sorry. And, and I'm interested.
0: in The name West okay. has been in my head here <laughs> so, and I thought you were quoting him. No, I haven't heard so it. Um, he, yeah, he, we, we he sort of there.
1: talked of this. This this thing went on. These these jokes had been said. Um, and then they sat and had to introduce themselves and, and say what force they were from and what the role was. And the last person that introduced himself stood up and said, I'm um, chief inspector, whatever, from Chever Force County, uh, probably, obviously probably up in the north uh, northwest there. Um, I was first on the scene at Lockerbie. Oh, my
0: goodness. Oh, I've got goosebumps.
1: And then you can just imagine the other person who told the Fred West joke.
0: Yeah.
1: wants into the ground to swallow him up. Um, And that put an awful lot of things into context for us as a group of young, happy-go-lucky people who wanted to join the police force.
0: It's an incredibly powerful way to facilitate learning, is to make Mm -hmm. it real. Whenever I was in lessons and classes and taught, I did the same thing, exactly the same type of exercise, not make direct reference to it immediately, bring... The conversation or an activity around to it Mm -hmm. and, and allow the emotion, the emotional reality to come. Yeah. Wow. That must have been a very powerful morning. It was my best.
1: Everybody's attention. (laughs) Yeah. I'd,
0: I'd say it did. Lots of lessons learned there very, very quickly. Oh, Sean, thanks for sharing. What a very interesting life you have led so far. So far, yes. <laughs> but we haven't got to the part that we were getting a bit cryptic about earlier on. So we have a few minutes left to go in that direction if we can. You're now preparing a podcast called, if I remember the title correctly, Psychics and Sidekicks. Is that correct? correct? Yeah, it's a great name. What took you there?
1: So what took me there, actually... Um, was one weekend in the army cadets, we were, um, in the mess and this gentleman who looked very, very much like Phil Collins, I might add, was in the bar and, um, he was with the, our company commander and it turned out that he was the entertainment for the night and he just happened to be a psychic medium. And I was just absolutely blown away with the detail that he was coming out with, um, the things that he was saying to people who, unless he'd had a conversation with them or with someone that knew them intimately, he just absolutely could not have known. And, um, so we, I, I was kind of drawn to that. I was really fascinated by how he did what he did. And then we've been to a couple of other events where Andy was doing, I think we had him twice for the cadets. Um, and then a couple of other sort of fundraising events where he'd done stuff for um, for a friend of ours. So we kind of became friends with Andy, but in a sort of a distant friendship relationship. And now I run a community radio station as well. Another one of my voluntary roles. And um, I've been talking to, to him. <laughs> Sorry?
0: How do you have time to live? (laughs) Just generally, you know, life-wise. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt
1: you. (laughs) No, that's fine. And and I'd I'd been talking to Andy about um, sort of floating the idea of getting him on the radio station, uh, and and doing like a live interview and things with him, and and giving people an opportunity to sort of send messages in and for him to to respond. And um, he was up for doing that, so we were talking about when we might be able to fit it in. And then uh, Donna had an accident early this year. She fell off a ladder decorating. She reckoned she was pushed, but there was nobody else in the house. Um, And as we were talking, Andy said, well, I I want to do this. I want to do more of this. And I just don't have the time because he himself has a full-time job. And then he does his mediumship stuff um, once, twice a month on a night uh, in the week sometimes a little bit of weekends, and he says, I just need more time or I I need an engine, I need a PA. I said, well, I actually think I know somebody who could help you for a little while, at least, um, because she can't go anywhere, she can't do anything else because she's bust a shoulder. And that was kind of when it started. Um, I then became his sidekick because I do his tech support. So what we do now is when Andy's got one of these nights on, he's fully mic'd up, we record everything. And then people who've had a reading can, um, we have a QR code on the side and they can come along, scan the QR code, send us an email, and we send them their reading. Because normally you would go away from that. You'd be full of the thoughts and, and reflections. And then tomorrow you forget all about it. Mm, or you remember the bits that your remember. brain made most relevant. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then you're like, oh, what was that? What, yeah. What did he say about, and you can't recall it. Well, actually now we can because we can send them the recordings.
0: I've never heard of anybody giving recordings of a, a session before. Okay. So you're going to
1: do a podcast. i that gave me the idea of doing a podcast and just expanding it and saying, well, actually there's more to it than just being a psychic medium. There is, um, Obviously, there's paranormal investigations, and we've done a couple. We've teamed up with a, a, a PI group, and then there's these skeptics. And I thought, wouldn't it be good if we actually had a podcast that covered the whole spectrum of that, everything in between, and give everyone that's got a thought or an opinion or a question an opportunity to get it out there and get an answer. Yeah, why not? Spectres that's where and spectrums, and <laughs> came from. <laughs>
0: Well, I love it. I get the sidekicks part now because that was the only bit that I didn't understand when you, you mentioned it before. So the podcast, the idea behind the podcast is not to give readings, but to to ask questions of each other.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I would say I, I describe myself as being openly curious. Hmm. So I have been a sceptic. Mum and dad have told me one or two stories uh, when I was younger. Um, my nan believed in it. She used to go to spirul- spiritualist church. My mum did. And, um, I've not been into it in that context or, or to, to the extent where I would want to attend spiritualist church on a weekly basis, but I've always been openly curious working with Andy and seeing Andy do his things. And, um, we had a fantastic week and um, evening actually yesterday, um, really good positive night lots of positive energies lots of really good connections and when you get a night like that you just you you just think yeah that's you know the old percentage bars gone up a little bit more um so it's a journey of learning and discovery for myself and my aim is that if i can help other people learn and discover as part of my journey then why not and i'm going to talk to people that make um, the ITC equipment where paranormal investigators go and they do the scientific side of the investigation. Yeah. There's so much technology out there. But I'm going to talk to those people that make it and find out how it works, why it does what it does. Yeah. And share that for people because they, they, they'll, they'll see and hear about the equipment, but they'll have no idea. Yeah.
0: they even got me thinking there. What, uh, what are they reading, actually? What does that green light mean? It's, I mean, it's, it must be energy and changes in the heat. The difference and between EMF and EVP and all
1: of those. Yeah, things. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I like that you're thinking of giving the skeptics the opportunity to ask the questions as well. Yeah. Because it opens up the floor, one, for you to be okay with getting a bit of backlash. And yeah, okay, that's part of the show. You're
1: granted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, for people who are openly curious. Or maybe completely sceptical, but with a slight niggling potential, which was me when I was 17, but I won't tell you that story now. I'll wait until you're interviewing me for your podcast. Okay. The chance to ask their questions and and have them answered, at least by somebody, to begin potentially their journey.
1: Certainly. And there is a potential slight bit of deviousness going on under the surface in that, if you do have that out-and-out sceptic and you do have that psychic medium in a three-way conversation and an energy is present and an opportunity is there for that to be shared, you might have a convert.
0: Yeah, you can shock the shit out of not. <laughs> <laughs> Just a
1: little bit. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You yeah. might not. Yeah, yeah. But if um, you don't try, you'll never know.
0: Look, I went... Because my mum said, would you not just do it after a couple of botched operations on my throat and I was converted. I don't know if conversion is the word. Let's not stain it <laughs> with religious uh, notions. Mm. But uh, yeah, I certainly it, it changed a lot for me. It changed my life completely when I went to my first shamanic human session. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And now I talk to them all the time. Like I said earlier on. I don't create the questions that come. I believe the questions are guided. That's part of my spirit. That's part of the gift that I'm being given in hosting my podcast to ask what comes up as a person communicates with me. And the more open they are, the more authentic the conversation can be because it's gifted. So I really appreciate you being here Mm -hmm. and you sharing all you did this evening. What a wonderful conversation. I loved it.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Really, is there anything else you'd like to add before we get to the final question and close off?
1: Um, no, because we've not launched yet. Although probably by the time this goes out, we'll have just launched because you, you're looking at um, September time. Did you say? Yeah, September, September time,
0: October time, yeah, It'll so, be in and so around we pro- then probably.
1: I'm hoping that we'll launch actually early to mid September, okay. at the rate preparations are going. Uh, it's looking really positive for that. Great. Great. can't wait. Yeah. Absolutely so they look for,
0: wait. I'd say you can't, and uh, maybe some of the people listening will be thinking now, you know, I might check that out from whatever side they may be coming. Yeah. So they look for psychics and sidekicks as a, a podcast. We'll of course put that in the show notes as well. Is there anything else yeah. that you want to say for people for how they can find you?
1: Y- yes. Um. We'll be on, on all the main. Uh, podcasting areas but apple podcast is uh, going to be our mainstream one uh you can find us on facebook you can find me on facebook um at sean bennett uk if you wanted to get me on on x is it x now is it officially x or is, is it all oh spin? i saw a, ha- a couple of headlines about that and i didn't
0: yeah. go into it oh for goodness yeah
1: but Check i don't know if, if people want to look what me he up, wants to do yeah people want to look me up i i all across most of my socials, it's SeanBennett.uk. And on the odd one, it's SeanBennett UK because it doesn't accept dots in there. But okay. if they can find me, they can find the podcast. Um, and the podcast will have a page on Facebook called Sidekicks and Sidekicks. Super. we will we'll put
0: in whatever links we, you want us to put in will be in the show notes as well.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: So I have one question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Mm-hmm and if it's okay with you i know we're just hitting on the time that we had booked do you have an extra 2 or 3 minutes to close absolutely off? Is I'm, that good. Okay?
1: I'm good super.
0: the show as you know is called connected communication what does connected communication mean to you
1: like that actually because um one of my strap lines for community radio is to create a connected community <laughs> and and the connected communication just It can be so many things, making a connection through talking, through writing, through any form of media. Um, just really not cutting yourself off. You can then go to the other end of the spectrum and the paranormal bit and energy. And it's a whole different meaning of connected communication. And that's, that's kind of something that we're exploring with our podcast. which just makes me think that you know the the synergies between us on here, and and there's lots of ideas spinning around my head for when we talk on my podcast. But yeah, so com- connected communication. However you do it, whatever medium you use, just do it. Don't cut yourself off. I love it.
0: I never reply to people when they say it their answer because I don't want to judge or decide on other people's answers Mm. but I love that you mentioned the energy energy for me is incredibly important to connection and for me when I communicate with somebody it's about the energy and how it feels so I love that you said that
1: thank Uh, you
0: thank you so much really I just I, I have to say I loved our conversation and I love it when that happens I've never met somebody before I'm totally fascinated by you now.
1: Consider (laughs) me a fan. (laughs) I'm looking
0: forward to chatting to you on your own podcast and to when it comes out. I will definitely listen and share it with people. Thank you. Thank you. Real pleasure. So listeners, that was the wonderful Sean Bennett sharing his life experience so far with us of multiple jobs as a constable, as a cadet instructor, in operations all over the UK with different people and different life experiences. I have loved the wisdom. If you enjoyed the podcast today, if you resonated with anything, please do leave a review on Apple. Send me a message. Send me a voicemail through the website. Get in touch with Sean if you have questions for him or you'd like to be a skeptic on his sidekicks. And si- no, psychics and sidekicks. Psychics. <laughs> it's a, it's a flippant tongue twister <laughs> on his psychics and sidekicks. Yes. Podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. Banak T. Agus